Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. The authoritarian impulse now plaguing American society is not a cause, but rather a symptom of an underlying problem. Corporate money dominates our government to such an extent that for all intents and purposes, it drowns out the will of the people. We function now not as a thriving democracy, but as an oligarchy. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people is indeed perishing from the earth. And on our watch, it has been replaced by a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. And the people are starting to figure this out. The worst enemy of democracy is not Donald Trump. The worst enemy of democracy is corporate greed. So says our next guest in an editorial in the New Hampshire Union Leader. I am very pleased to welcome back to our show Democratic presidential candidate, best-selling author, and heroic activist, Marianne Williamson. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being back. It's so good to see you. Always good to see you. Uh, I'm curious, was there a moment when you decided you wanted to do this to your nervous system again, that you wanted to jump back into a presidential race? The first time I ran, there was a moment, actually. The second time, absolutely not. It was a months-long process, no longer naive, very aware of what I was getting myself into, although that doesn't make it feel any better when you're going through it, aware that it was like running into a burning house. Mm But I ultimately felt I had some kind of internal fire retardant, and I could take it. And how's it been? Well, it's much like last time, except magnified, in the sense that you inhabit two worlds. One is when you're actually talking to voters. And that is exhilarating, more so now, actually, than last time, because there is a deeper listening this time. Yes. But the system, the political media industrial complex, it's more seriously corrupt, vicious, dark than the average American would have any idea. Yeah, uh, I think you're exactly right. And yet, despite the fact that you were in a very uncrowded field this time, Mm -hmm. as opposed to four years ago when there were Mm -hmm. 27 Democrats running, you're already, despite a distinct disadvantage in polling and media coverage, you're polling 27% with Gen Z voters already. I mean, I don't even know how you can reach that many. It's so so interesting. The reason I'm only seven points behind Biden among Gen Z voters is because I can get to them. It's called TikTok. That's it. But when it comes to everybody else, CNN, blackballed, they won't have me. MSNBC, blackballed, they won't have me. They are to the Democratic Party no different than Fox is to the GOP. It's a political media industrial complex, and anybody who thinks otherwise is very naive. 
I do think that polling uh, and showing up in primaries will begin to change that. But I, I'm curious, what was it that made you want to run as a Democrat rather than running third party like other friends we could mention? Well, that's just a gut call. I don't think there's a right or wrong there. I don't criticize anybody's decision on that. You have to just go where you feel you can be of greatest service. I have a nostalgic belief in the party, the Democratic Party that I grew up with. Uh, Roosevelt always talked about at the dinner table. When I was growing up, um, and I'm not whitewashing the Democratic Party, but there was a sense that definitely more than not, there was an unabashed, unequivocal advocacy for the working people of the United States, and that that's what we, that's the side we were supposed to be on. And I've borne witness, as has anyone who's old enough, to the trajectory of decline. Yes. Some people say it started with Carter. I think it certainly started with the Democratic Leadership Council. Yeah, Bill Clinton. You know, this entire trickle-down horror, it started with the Republicans, but no Democrat has stopped it. So that now the corporatist Democrats look at progressives and someone like myself, and they would say we're trying to hijack the party, but actually they hijacked the party. It's a fair point. I think when Bill Clinton embraced NAFTA on the campaign trail, that may have been the moment where Wall Street decided to trust him more than George H.W. Bush, but it was a tipping point for the Mm. Democratic Party. And it seems like the party has been locked in this struggle of those who want to call out the problem and those who will acknowledge the problem, but they're still going to ride the wave of mega corporate cash for a Democratic Party. Now, did you, when you just said what you said, were you describing the Democratic Party? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, you'll have an AOC, who in many cases I respect and admire, even Bernie, who obviously I respect and admire. But what the hell with endorsing Biden and endorsing him so early? What is that? How do you exercise leverage in a case like that? It makes no sense to me. And all these traditional um, environmental organizations who have endorsed him, this man has given President Biden for all his you know, protestations that he's the climate president, that he realizes that it's an existential threat. He's given more oil drilling permits than Trump did. He has approved the Willow Project, the $858 billion defense budget. The defense industry is the single largest institutional emitter of greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And if you ask these organizations that have already endorsed him, they'll say something from what I hear along the line of what else do we have? Yeah. Excuse me, I'm standing right here. <laughs> it's a fair critique and it's a true critique. And we've talked before when you've joined us about the systemic economic injustices that are imposed on millions of Americans because of this undue influence of corporate money on the entire system. What do you see as the, uh, the top examples of that? It's everywhere. We don't have universal health care because of the greed of the insurance companies. We have over a million people rationing their insulin because of the greed of the pharmaceutical companies. We have carcinogens in our food because of big ag, big food. Uh, Farming has been decimated because of big ag. We have toxins in our air, uh, big chemical companies, pesticides. We have guns flooding our street, children praying every morning uh, that they won't get shot at school because of the greed of the gun manufacturers. We have a planet that is imploding because of the greed of big oil. And the fact that Democrats and Republicans, no matter who's president, line up against them. We have a defense budget and a defense establishment completely dominated by the greed of of the defense contractors. Where are their tentacles not at this point? The tentacles of unfettered capitalism are now, and their spawn, have infected every single corner of our society. It's a 
deep-rooted cancer, and that is the primary site. And a Donald Trump or any authoritarian, neo, any neo-fascist is a is a symptom, not a root cause. Exactly, as you mentioned in the, in the op-ed, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think if you go from Eisenhower to Nixon to Reagan to Bush to Junior Bush to Palin to Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can see the deceleration of the mm-hmm. morality and, of course, how it just gets easier and easier for the oligarchs to... I think the smartest thing oligarchs ever did was call themselves oligarchs, a term yeah, okay. the average American won't adapt funny, to. Actually. If, um, if you were president, would you call it inflation or would you call it corporate greed and price gouging? Well, I would call it inflation caused in many cases by price gouging and also the fact of this corporate dominance is what makes the system such that it's inflation is too hard for people to absorb. And, you know, certain levels of inflation are are cyclical and almost inevitable. But the fact that people do not have health care, the yeah. fact that people do not have um, tuition-free college and tech school, the fact that people do not have free child care, the fact that people do not have a living wage is what makes any shock such as an inflationary cycle too difficult for people to absorb. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how Americans don't really understand, uh, many Americans, that our foreign capitalist allies have societies where people don't have to have GoFundMe pages to pay for their child's surgery. It's unbelievable. Or rationing insulin. It's the same thing. that, And, and you, you mentioned rationing insulin or GoFundMe pages to pay for life-saving operations to any citizen of an advanced European democracy, or it's even some societies that aren't democracies. They hardly can believe what you're talking about. Yeah. We've been so trained to expect too little in this country. Let me talk about a, a wealth tax with okay. you. Um, because when we talk about that, uh, how much do you mean? Uh, you know, there's, 50 there's a million, lo- 50 million, an extra 2%. And then if you have a billion dollars in asset, pay another uh, 1%. If you have 50 million and we ask for an, a 2%, of that, it will not ruin your day. It, if they you won't have a, feel a pinch. You will not feel it. If you have a billion and we ask for that additional one, your grandchildren won't even feel Correct. the pinch. Your grandchildren can have a third yacht and That's not right. have to skimp on and the no, sides. There will be, right, right. It's unbelievable how we acquiesce to this protection, this cushiness towards those who already have so much. Yes, this management. I mean, the, this divine right mm-hmm. of oligarchs. Well, it's the, it, it really does go back to what you and I learned when we were in kids and we were told about the divine right of kings. Mm-hmm. That's why the Declaration of Independence is so, is so radical, because the ancient regime, the idea of the monarchy, was the divine right of kings, and the Declaration of Independence repudiated that. That's right. As, as uh, Lincoln used to say, it is the rebuke of tyranny. It is our eternal rebuke of tyranny because it said the divine right of every human being. That's it right there, that God gave inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to every one of us. We're all supposed to have a divine right. We were all created equal. And it is the radicalism of the uh, Declaration of Independence, which is the ultimate rebuke. That's right. And that's why too many generations have gone by with are having not really taken those words into our hearts. It's not enough for them to just be written on parchment or marble walls somewhere. They need to be really taken into our hearts. Those were radical words in 1776, and they're radical words now. It seems to me that this is a basic issue of morality, and it's an issue of morality that politicians are afraid to touch, that any society that is okay with letting billionaires and poverty coexist at the same time is a society that can't sustain itself. No great society allows uh, there to be a permanent underclass. 
You know, Franklin Roosevelt, he, his words seem so relevant to me right now. He said, a necessitous man is not a free man. He talked about the four freedoms. Yeah. There's the freedom of speech, of religion, protest. He said, but there's the freedom from fear and the freedom from want. And also, going back to this business of Trump, he also said that we would never have to worry about a fascist takeover as long as democracy delivered on its promises. That's the problem. The fascists should never have gotten so close to the door. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten so close to the door, and they are so close to the door because democracy hasn't delivered on its promises. That's the way. That's why the way to defeat them in 2024 is through offering the American people a better deal, offering universal health care, offering tuition-free college, offering to cancel the college loan debt, offering free child care, offering a guaranteed housing, guaranteed living wage, paid family leave. That's how we are going to defeat the fascists by offering the American people what anyone in the 21st century who is promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should expect in a rich country and advanced democracy in 2023. And again, our capitalist allies enjoy this stuff and have no idea why it's so hard for us to pull it off. And it's not like it's free stuff. No, you it's pay your tax 15. dollars. Thank, I say this to people all the time. This is not free. Yeah, your, your money is being stolen at this moment because the very richest in this country are using your tax dollars, your treasury, like their own personal piggy bank. And no, they're not creating jobs. They're not job creators. They're 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 business model is job elimination, not job creation and worker exploitation. But this is the thing, John, and I'm sure you agree with me on this. People are starting to figure this out, and people are figuring it out on the right as well as the left. And that's why this is a moment of opportunity. I agree. I think that there was a way to reach people on the right. I think some candidates have come close to it, but they're getting screwed in the same way. And yet we keep having these cultural issues that divide us. Obviously, abortion, which we I want to get into, but but tribalistic issues that are designed by oligarchs to keep us fighting each other the way racism was used to break up unions. They have to keep moderates and conservatives and liberals at each other's throats. Well, a couple of things there. First of all, when you say candidates try, why am I doing this? Where are these famous progressives who are already in Congress? Mm -hmm. Because they're so tied into the Democratic Party and what the, you know, the party elite is saying, we'll come after you, you, you'll lose your chairmanship, your place on that committee, yeah. we might primary you, and so forth. And also, people are realizing that, as you said, this entire left-right axis is artificially created. The real axis of political opposition is not left versus right, it's powerful versus powerless. Yeah. It's up versus down. It's those with tremendous capital and access, easy access to more of it versus the vast majority of people who are simply struggling to get by. If you're a working person in the United States, if you're one of those one third of America's workforce who lives on less than $15 an hour, I don't care if you're on the left or the right, you're being screwed by the same people. Exactly. And this is why Trump wants to go to Detroit to speak to the auto workers and why it was so great that Sean Fain put out a statement. A beautiful statement. Yeah, he, uh, Sean Fain is my is is my hero of the week for sure. Yeah, I mean, should a sitting He's, president uh, should a sitting president show up and walk with uh, the UAW workers? I sure as hell would. Right on camera. That's yeah, what we need. I would. You know, we're sold this notion that from from childhood that it's liberal versus conservative, but it's always in this country been aristocracy versus democracy. Absolutely. Left versus right. Listen, Eisenhower said the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. There are high-minded conservative ideals and liberal ideals. Exactly right. Um, everyone talks about 
religion in politics. And it's amazing how disturbed some people get when we talk about spirituality in politics. And my God, have I witnessed this with you? I've witnessed this with many leaders. Um, I've witnessed it with me and I'm just a clown. Uh, you're not just a clown, but I hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? Why, why are people so terrified of spirituality and yet they will either blanket accept or oppose the word religion? Yeah. Well, if you look at the history of American social justice movements, that you just called it terrified. I think it's just intellectual laziness more than it's terror. But go back to the history of this country. Among white Americans, the abolitionist movement emerged from the early evangelical churches in New Hampshire. Among the women who were the leaders of the women's suffragist movement, most of them were religious Quakers. That's right. And of course, Dr. King was a Baptist preacher. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. The main arc of social justice movements in in the United States emerged from a religious and spiritual center. In fact, you know, JFK said we cannot afford to be materially rich and spiritually poor. It was Bobby Kennedy Sr. who had originally said we're fighting for the soul of America. This this turn into this almost um, neo-Marxist, weirdly secularized perspective, which fosters only a transactional conversation. You know, this is not the Bolshevik revolution in, 2000, in 1918, okay? I, I get that we all read that in the college, okay? And, I, and you oh, know, you're not this calling, younger generation, they think that they're the only ones who ever you're, read Chomsky. You're not calling to nationalize you know, all private industry, yeah, really? No, 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 no. I mean, everything <laughs> I'm talking about is, is really a moderate position in every other advance of Yes. Democracy. And by the way, I'm not saying that, you know, the analysis of class struggle and Marx and all that isn't a relevant relevant application to a deeper understanding of what's going on. But freezing ourselves in the beginning of the 20th century, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and by the way, before he died, actually, if you look at the history of Marx, he was a great humanitarian philosopher before mm-hmm. he ever wrote the Communist Manifesto. So I think that this is a very aberrational chapter in the history of the left, and it's that it is so over-secularized, that it is so dismissive of faith. It's, it's almost like if you have any religious or spiritual perspective, by definition, you have a lower IQ. You're, you're more unsophisticated. So, you know, I certainly am on the receiving end of all that, but it's it's certainly not the way to the win win the heart of America when you have 90% of Americans who say that they believe in God I'll tell you that much right but that's why I use a word like terrified mm-hmm. because that's the triumph of fundamentalism it's mm-hmm. making folks believe that religious people are dumb because right, when dumb. I was growing up in this country when I put on the TV I would see atheists or I would see imbeciles I would see non-believers or I would see people screaming at women outside clinics. And that was the paradigm my media has always presented to me. I never saw the kind of spiritual people like my parents or my parents' friends, the kind of clergy I knew who were cool. The first act of protest by a white person in this hemisphere was Father Bartolomeo de las Casas, the Catholic priest on Columbus's ship who wrote back to the queen to complain deeply about how the indigenous peoples were being treated. The first act of protest. For every time in our history, we've had fundamentalist religion defending slavery, defending apartheid, defending homophobia or subjugation of women. You're right. It has always also been progressive religious who have stood up for human rights. Did you see the movie The Mission? Oh, yeah. Oh, Roland Joffe? That was a yeah. magnificent one uh, about that. When I was growing up, there were the Berrigan brothers. Yeah. There was William Sloan Coffin. There was a religious left when I was growing yeah. up. And then also when I was growing up, 
Any social justice movement could depend on the Jews and the Catholics. At around the same time, the Jews and the Catholics both became almost obsessed with single issues, Catholics with abortion and Jews with Israel. Until that time, if it was about hunger, if it was about poverty, if it was about justice, well, we had the Catholics, we had the Jews. And then there was a turning, and it was simultaneous, by the way, and that sucked a lot of juice when you could, that sucked a lot of Jews out of the social justice corners of this society, and it was also left to people who would not stand on any religious or spiritual principle whatsoever. It's but, been to the real detriment of progressive causes in this country. I mean, abortion has been the greatest tool to get followers of Jesus to vote against everything Jesus actually talked and, about. And a similar thing happened yeah. Yeah, with Judaism. Can you stick around? I will have sure, about 4,000 more questions. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back with Democratic presidential candidate and best-selling author, Marianne Williamson. This is SiriusXM. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. I am so pleased to be joined by our friend returning to the show, Democratic presidential candidate and best-selling author and activist, Marianne Williamson. And we, we were talking a little bit in the break about this incredible tradition of activism of spiritual people. And I keep telling, you know, my atheist friends all the time, you don't have to believe like in the Bible as literal fact to understand that the teachings of this Jesus guy are actually quite progressive. And it's the sort of area where atheists need to form coalitions, just like progressives and moderates need to form coalitions. But it seems like we're perpetually on the left and on the right always at war with our own side. We're always at each other's throats with people because we only agree on 85% of issues. It's so true. You know, when I was growing up, everybody said that the left was a circular firing squad. I didn't even know how true that was till I started running for office myself. Yeah, if you don't agree on every little thing. And of course, what that says is that the left, as it is currently 
constituted in the United States today, it really makes you wonder whether after actual power or not. What do you think are some of the things that uh, Joe Biden has has gotten right, and what are some things that have disappointed you? Well, he, you know, he I think he's trying to be good. You know, the NLRB he's bolstering it. Lena Khan, I have a lot of a lot of respect for. Anti-monopolistic. I mean, I I think that he you know, talks a good game. He's certainly better than Trump. I mean, I will certainly give you that. But he takes a basically incremental approach. If if Build Back Better had passed, then I'd be applauding the president, actually. It was really kind of, in many ways, everything we had hoped for. But there were were a lot of things that he could have done to make things better. We could have codified Roe v. Wade. He had said that he uh, wanted to raise the minimum wage, so he raised it to the $15 an hour, which, by the way, isn't even close to what is needed mm-hmm. in any major American city to for a living wage. He said, so he raised it for federal workers. And then, when it came time to putting it into the COVID relief bill, the parliamentarian stopped him. Well, no Republican president allows himself to be stopped by the parliamentarian. George Bush just fired the parliament when they challenged him. So at those points, the president will back up. So when you say, what do I give him credit for? I give him credit for the, for the fact he took a baby step. And, you know, is federal workers getting 15 a baby step? Okay, I'll call it an incremental approach. But that still leaves us with, as I said before, less than a third actually, a third of America's workforce living for less than $15 an hour. So the president, once again, he, there are very good, healthy investments in green energy in the Inflation Reduction Act. And so I give him credit for that right and more uh, drilling permits than even Trump. So the president, every once in a while, you see some things. Um, something happened the other day with the NLRB that was absolutely wonderful, that if a company is caught union busting, any union busting activities uh, before there was the idea of a negotiation, they were forced to the table. So, yeah, you see some good things coming out of the Biden administration, but we are on our way to the Titanic. And all that that ultimately corporatist democratic perspective does is means that we, we are going there more slowly and we will hit it at a different angle. For Bidenomics, you know, To think that Bidenomics is going to defeat the Republicans in 2024 is absurd, given that the message that the economy is doing well applies to only 20% of Americans. And these 20% are living on an island surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. You have over, over a half of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck. You have over half Americans who could not afford a $400 unexpected expenditure. And this is a president who said that he would veto a Medicare for all bill. This is a president who even today could use the Higher Education Act to uh, cancel the entire college loan debt. This is a president who doesn't want to go close to anything like standing for guaranteed housing, guaranteed living wage, free child care paid family leave for everyone. He stood for it for certain sectors where the government was making some negotiations. So when you're asking me, what do I give him credit for? I give him credit for being better than Trump. That's such a low bar that it is reasonable, with all due respect to him as a human being, to point out that if you're going to talk about who he's helped, he has not helped enough 
people with the power at his command for us to be able to even win in 2024. I think it's the same problem we had with uh, the first Barack Obama administration, that a uh, a recovery that looks good on paper doesn't necessarily translate to people in the heartland really feeling it. And a lot of the danger with talking about recovery. Yeah, on paper, we're doing better with inflation than our G7 allies. Well, but that but people working and living paycheck to paycheck don't see that, don't feel that. And it means nothing to them. Let's talk about that for a moment. What those forces within the Biden administration are saying is that the covid emergency is over. The COVID COVID emergency is over, so let's go back to your life as it was. For millions and millions of Americans, it was already an emergency. There's a difference sociologically. There's a term screaming emergency and silent emergency. Mm -hmm. COVID was a screaming emergency. Why was it screaming? Because it affected rich people too. But there's a silent emergency, which is the highest level of poverty in this country than of any other advanced democracy. Poverty is an emergency. Hunger. Do you know I was in New Hampshire recently? Half of the citizens of New Hampshire are food insecure. That is an emergency. One in four Americans living with medical debt. That is an emergency. 18 million Americans who cannot afford to pay their prescriptions that their doctors give them. That is an emergency. The millions who have been thrown off Medicaid. The millions who have been thrown off SNAP. The 70,000 child care centers that are going to now close. That's right. Because, hey, the emergency's over. Go back to your life. Life is an economic emergency for the majority of American people. And one thing that surprised me was on the campaign trail in 2020, and you had a much closer seat to this than me, the more Biden embraced the left, the more bold he got, the more popular he got. And I guess I was hoping that that would continue through the administration. Well, if they continue to, at least, well, some would say some would say that it has. You know, some would say he's been much further left than we expected. And in some ways he has been. I want to give credit sure. where credit yeah. is due. But we're at a point now where going back to this business of Bernie endorsing him, going back to this business of AOC endorsing him. I don't understand it. How are we going to exercise any leverage? Now, what we saw in 2016, over and over and over, poll after poll after poll, showed Bernie would have beaten Trump. And I hope that it doesn't sound too self-aggrandizing to say that I believe that one of the reasons that the powers that be within the Democratic Party do not want me out there is because my message which is a progressive message, is agreed with by the majority of Americans. The majority of Republicans, as well as Democrats, want universal health care. The majority of uh, Republicans, as well as Democrats, want tuition-free college and tech school. The majority of Americans, Republican and Democrat, want universal background checks and so forth. There have been all kinds of studies that have proven the people on the right want our policies. They just don't want the the association with the Democratic Party. Yeah, you're right. So I think you really have to ask yourself sometimes whether the Democratic elite want to win. Is that really their goal to win or is their goal to preserve their own perch of power no matter what? Because if they were really interested in winning, they would at least allow for debates. They would at least allow for a conversation where more people have the opportunity to hear the various options placed before them. And that's, I believe, what my agenda represents. I I don't have control, nor should I, by the way, whether or not people would choose the agenda Mm. of a genuinely progressive platform. What I can control is whether or not that is placed before them. And let's be very clear, it is the Democratic Party and the DNC that is blocking that. That is undemocratic and I believe devastating for our prospects in 2024. I'll never forget, I was on a 
some show on MSNBC in 2016, and I, I said Hillary Clinton would be crazy to not make Bernie Sanders her running mate. No offense to Tim Kaine, lovely guy. I guess she was going for the good dad against Trump. And the entire panel stared at me like I had nine heads That's for right. suggesting it. But I said, this is a campaign that needs that enthusiasm. And I thought Senator Sanders' plan for instead of selling it as universal health care or single payer, but Medicare for all by gradually lowering the Medicare eligibility age. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a smart candidate would come out and say, lower Medicare to 50 and mm -hmm. watch and see what that does for the polls. That's exactly right. That uh, That's exactly right. And the idea that the American people would not want a an agenda that would help them. Yeah. That would help them. And you know, this socialism, oh, that's socialism. They threw that at Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. That's the standard technique of the economic royalists. Yeah. But at this point, the economic royalists are uh, headquartered in the Democratic Party as well. I want to thank you for not making a thing out of uh, Joe Biden's age. Uh, you know, I'm 71. And I, I, by the way, I don't believe that. I've looked it up, but I don't think it's true. <laughs> well, I am. And I, you know, I'm still 10 years younger than, you know, what the president would be. And there, that 10 years matters. But I don't think the American people need to be reminded of the president's age. I don't think they need to be reminded of his cognitive issues or feebleness of mind in certain conversations. I just think it's kind of, I mean, I just mentioned it, but I, <laughs> the reason I don't mention it on the campaign trail is because I don't think people, it just feels like a personal hit. You, uh, you wrote Democrats looking to win in 2024 by making Donald Trump or any Republican for that matter an obsessive target are missing the mark and I agree not the least of which is because Donald Trump is facing seven different criminal trials between now and the Republican convention next summer I mean there's a good chance that it will not be Donald Trump running for the Republican Party, despite what these polls say now or a year in advance? Well, first of all, as we know, there are millions of Americans who would vote for Trump even if he were in prison. Sure. But I think the reason we shouldn't be obsessed about him is because the people who are going to vote for him are going to vote for him. The biggest peril for the Democratic electoral uh, possibilities in 2024, the biggest peril is not people voting for Trump. The biggest peril is people staying home. Yeah, Especially Always young is. people, especially young people who feel so betrayed. Young people for whom the Democratic Party has not done any more than the Republican Party. They, they don't remember, they don't have in their lifetime, they don't have any institutional memory of a time when the Democratic Party did any more to help them than the Republican. You know, it was, it was Joe Biden who was part of making it impossible for these kids to use bankruptcy. Uh, to get out of this horror with these college loan debts. So from the college loan debt to the difficulty of having tuition-free college and tech school, which, by the way, we had in this country until the 1970s. University of Texas had a system, University of California, University of Florida. So young people are are feeling understandably extremely betrayed. You know, everywhere, and I can't speak for every young person, obviously, but many of them I can tell you, everywhere I go, I ask people to raise their hands. I say, I'm going to ask you a question. And if the answer is yes, please raise your hand and then keep it up high so that everybody can see. If you are a young person, or if you have ever heard a young person say that under normal circumstances, you would be thinking of having a child. But given the state of the planet, you do not believe it would be a, a responsible thing to do. If you've heard that or said that, please raise your hand. Now, there were a surprising number in 2020 
2024, or for this election season, 2024, I never see fewer than a third mm-hmm. of the room raise their hand. And in one time recently, it was the vast majority of the room. And I tell everybody, please look around the room and people register it. And I, I point out this is not normal. To make, you know, to be in a situation where young people at, the, at that point in their lives, most of whom, not all of whom, not everyone should have a child, but in the normal co- course of events for so the majority of people, the conversation would at least be on the table. We're coming off this revelation that under the child tax credit during COVID, That's we saw the lowest childhood poverty rate in this country's history. And when it expired in 2022, the childhood poverty rate doubled. And no one's talking about the fact that we just proved government can take care of it if they want to. I'm talking about it all the time. The yeah. child tax credit, you know, first of all, they said we're going to cut child poverty in half. My feeling was if you could cut it in half, you could eradicate it. Boom. But OK, that's better than nothing. Like you said, six months and then they didn't permanentize it. Now, you could say, well, Joe Manchin, but I'm sorry, the president didn't fight for it. The president didn't stand for it. You know, Lyndon Johnson, Franklin Roosevelt, they didn't take no so easily from senators who said no. And and so that tax credit, that child tax credit is a perfect example to me. The rate of child poverty in this country is absolutely intolerable. And you're right. I love talking about student loan debt forgiveness. I, I love making the argument that this is not giving them free education, that it's taking care of this unholy, ungodly interest that's charged. But why are we fighting for that? It's like the Obamacare fight. Wait, why are we trying to to have a moderate improvement and call it sweeping reform? In reality, why can't we have free college? Because our capitalist allies overseas prove that pays for itself. It, yes, because the higher your educational level, the higher your achievement level in general. The higher your achievement level, the more money you make. How many of these kids, I remember some man said to me, Marianne, these young kids, they, they, this younger generation doesn't have enough respect for capitalism, he said. And I remember <laughs> responding, maybe if they had some capital, ah. maybe if they had some capital, they would have some respect for capital. It's outrageous. You, We are the first generation of Americans who literally thwart the dreams of our young people. We're, we're like cutting people off at the knees. You know, in any natural system, you set your children up to win. Mm-hmm. You set your younger generation up to win. And instead, we are allowing banks and, and government and higher, higher education industrial complex to use the despair and the desperation and the desire of these children, of these young people, to just self-actualize and make their dreams come true. We are, we are predatory. It is a predatory system just looking at their despair as a profit center. Yeah. This should not be a profit-based situation. And that's what's wrong with America. Everything is about profit. And you you know, there are plenty of hybrid economies, uh, Europeans who have figured out how to have a thriving capitalist sector and at the same time have enough protection for your common yeah. good. And we and have happier privatized than we are. dreams. The American dream was never supposed to be you can get yours. The American dream is supposed to be the possibility of self-actualization for anyone who works hard enough. But it's also if you work hard enough and play by the rules and are able to eventually send your kid to school and get your children to, to have a good life that you in turn will then be able to help others be able to climb that economic ladder. Many American children, millions of them, are locked out of that possibility by the time they're 10 years old. Millions of American children who go to schools where they don't even have the resources to make sure that every child would learn to read 
by the time they're 10. In that case, that child's chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased. Their chances of incarceration are drastically increased. So where is that child's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? And then we wonder why we have 2.3 million people in prison. When I was in college, there were 300,000. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't wonder why. It's systemic, and it always has been. I want to shift overseas if I can, because I'm wondering how a Williamson administration might address the situation of Vladimir Putin's genocidal invasion of a neighbor. Well, first of all, the fact that you call it a genocidal invasion of a, of a neighbor, of a sovereign country, I appreciate that. And I'm shocked by how many people on the so-called anti-imperialist left yeah. are willing to be apologists for Putin's imperialism. I think it... it I'm borders. not shocked that the right's doing it. I'm not shocked that guys who didn't mind Bush's invasion right, are, are, right. are very upset that we're pushing back against Putin's invasion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well... The issue is an, a very, is it naivete or is it just abject hypocrisy? The idea that if you just let him have what he wants now, he'll stop. Well, did he stop with Crimea? Yeah. No, he would just take a long breath and then he would come back for more. Slaughtered 50,000 in Chechnya. Right. And also I resent, and I, and I feel this way about my opponents, both Cornell and, and Bobby, who act like theirs is the peace position. And mine is the war position. I really, yeah. I object to that. Because yeah. if they're saying, they're saying we have to have negotiations. Of course we have to have negotiations. Duh. Okay, babe. But do you negotiate Duh. while he's in the country slaughtering That's right. people? It, the, the whole point is, and these so many on the left seem not to really be reading the news. There was this international conclave in Saudi Arabia a few weeks ago. You, it's not just the United States here. It's China. It's Brazil. It's India. It's many. And if you just completely withdraw all American support right now, Putin would be very happy with that. But I'll tell you something. If you think that's going to be peaceful... If you think that what will happen then, oh, that's great, everything will be peaceful, what he will do to the Ukrainians. Yeah. And also I have a, a problem with people who, although they understandably, understandably, object to the occupation of such territories as the Palestinian, which I do agree with that objection, yeah. why is it okay that Putin occupies Ukraine? It makes no sense to me. And it's also an example, as you were saying before, about if you don't agree on every little thing. Oh, the purity tests are going to kill the left. Yeah. Yeah. And and the issue of his nuclear capacity, uh, we have that threat hanging over our head no matter what. Are we going to live with that uh, for the rest of our lives? So I actually do support being very clear with Vladimir Putin that uh, Ukraine, despite your belief that it is not a separate country. It should never have been a part of the separate uh, country. It is a separate country. And I also think when you look at a nation like Finland, who stayed neutral for so long, who now wants to be in NATO, I think a lot of people on the left are not thinking about Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, yeah. Sweden. Uh, you know, there's a whole continent over there. I agree. And Europe matters. I agree. How much of Poland would you have given to Hitler so he'd behave? So what's giving you hope? People, we're, you know, I do believe that the moral arc of the universe is long, but bends towards justice. But at the same time, we are living at a moment where there's a rumbling underneath the surface of things. There is a shifting political dynamic right now that neither major political party 
even recognizes they're in such a bubble. And things will not remain the way they are. They will go one way or the other. Things are either going to a tip in the direction of much greater democracy and justice, or they will tip in the direction of dystopia and neo-authoritarianism. I don't think we have time to do anything but except do everything we can on a daily basis to push things in the direction of greater democracy and justice. But I'll tell you something, when it comes to the you know, failure of the Democratic Party to allow debates or something, you cannot save democracy by suppressing democracy. So what gives me hope? I think hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. If I was not running, I would be spending all my time screaming at the television. (laughs) And I don't think I would be hopeful. But at least I can look at myself in the mirror and say that I am one of those. And there are many, obviously, yourself included, doing what I can to contribute on a daily basis. And that gives me hope because I know how many of us really do want a more beautiful world. Marianne, how can our listeners learn more about the campaign and support the campaign? Thank you. They can go to Marianne2024.com. And particularly, I hope people will look at my issues page. This is not just about nice flowery concepts. This is about actual solutions and and policies that matter. So Marianne2024.com. And thank you, John. I've known you a lot of years and much love to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we are back. Thank you, Marianne Williamson. Who's done the show a few times in the past? It was nice to have her back. Uh, Reverend Sandy is on the line from Los Angeles. Good evening, Reverend Sandy. Thanks for calling Progress. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Rev? I'm so good. I wanted to say, don't lose hope about the religious left. There is a huge oh, never. religious left, and we're all working together, but the media just doesn't pay any attention to us. I know it's um, so almost like being a it's like being a destructive douchebag is better for ratings than nice people being kind to each other. It's so strange. I know. Go figure. Ah. So I just wanted to name a few names like that. I think of even some of them have been on your show, like Brian McLaren. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, of, of uh, great Diana religious Butler progressives. Mm-hmm. Diana yeah. Butler Bass has done our yeah. show a hundred times. Yeah, I love her. A hundred times. She's amazing. And Marianne Williamson. What a uh, wide-ranging, amazing brain she has. She's, yeah. uh, like, what doesn't she have a cogent thing to say about something? But yeah, I also listen, I mean, I, I, understand, I understand the smearing of her and why people are so threatened and all that, but it's like when you listen to her, yeah. it's like, what is she saying that Ralph Nader hasn't said? You know, what is she saying that's so shocking right. that, that other progressives haven't said? And so you're exactly right, but if you're, if you're actually talking about spirituality, that scares them. They'll talk about religion, but when you actually get into yes. actual spirituality and get, some, right. get deep about it, because we don't talk deep yeah. about religion either in this country. The, the, the media is just terrified right. of it. So I also wanted to lift up my friends at Clergy and Laity United for Economic Justice in Los Angeles. Yes. It's an organization that I think it's 25 years old, something like that. And um, I've been a part of it since the beginning. And they provide, we provide 
support for workers who are struggling for better lives. So that mm-hmm. means when your grocery store workers are out on strike and it's 100 degrees outside, we bring flats of water and walk with them and popsicles nice. and what have you. Like, and we pray with them and we, um, we do it interfaith, too, which is the other important thing. Yep. It's not something, just and again, not just interfaith is something you see in real life all the time, but you hardly ever see reflected in our media or our news. All the time, all the time. And I am so grateful for my interfaith brothers and sisters, because particularly in the beginning, we didn't know how to be together and we would step on each other's toes all the time. Mm. But now we've learned how to be together. Like, for instance, uh, someone's bringing uh, food to the meeting and they bring ham. And so, of course, that lets out the Jews and the Muslims right away. So what we do yeah. is just do everything vegetarian and then it's no problem. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you just learn these ways of, to get along together. And along the way, Los Angeles has been a leader in the living wage movement. It's, That's right. it's a leader right now in the, um, I mean, we're all aware of the writer strike and the actor strike. and But I wonder if we're aware of the hotel worker strike. And um, and that's been going on. You know, the hotel workers have been suffering uh, because uh, tourism came back, but they didn't. The hotels didn't rehire all the workers. That's right. So fewer workers are doing more work for less money. They're getting injured and they can't afford to live. And so they have to live two hours outside of L.A. because all the L.A. rents are too high and they're spending all their time driving to and from work, working and sleeping. And they're not seeing their kids. They're not doing the things that you're supposed to do. Like Marianne Williamson was talking about, all the things that fulfill us, family, friends, leisure, all the things. And this has been going on for months, right? Sandy, this hotel worker strike has been going on months, and I believe they're just asking for a $5 increase to afford Southern California cost of living. They're asking for kind of a lot. They're asking for a fund for the um, hotels to pay into that would build affordable housing. Hmm. They're asking for pensions. Can you imagine working, backbreaking work for 35 years and wanting a pension after you're done? Like, uh, yeah, the auto workers, the auto workers have the same dream. Yeah, but way back to the yeah, 1980s, right? this ancient artifact uh, known as a pension. Exactly. exactly. And um, and so they have a lot of demands, but they are they're so smart about what they're doing, and the workers are so strong because. You know, they have to think about rent and food on the table and all of that. And the people of faith are helping with that as well. They're helping to feed people and helping to helping them with a fund to pay rent and so forth. So, yeah, Reverend Sandy, you're the best. Thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate you reminding us of the hotel worker strike. Thank you. It's an amazing time for organized labor and people are on their side. The American people are supporting labor more than management, and a smart incumbent president would be seen on some damn picket lines in front of the cameras. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get to all your calls. This is SiriusXM. Don't go away. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. Thank you guys so much for waiting on hold forever. Richie in L.A., welcome. You're on Sirius XM. Thanks for your patience. Hey, John. Hey, Chris. Um, I was going to I enjoyed the interview with Marianne Williamson, except it's like a lot of these very smart people like Ralph Nader. They always she did mention Joe Manchin, but they always seem like they have. They know exactly what to do. It's a, like 
but Mike Tyson said everyone has a great plan until they get hit. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. And again, like my question for everyone, for every candidate and for any third party, you know, I have two questions. Number one, how are you going to get 270 electoral votes? Third party. Uh Number two, what is your plan to bring Mitch McConnell to the negotiating table in ways that Barack Obama and Joe Biden could not? Those are the questions. for Right. Um, The other thing I was going to say, the great thing about the Biden presidency is he's been the first president to teach us geography without getting any U.S. troops killed. Yeah, it's true. Uh, It's true, and I do believe that Biden is not going to commit any ground troops to to Ukraine. If he does, he's going to lose all the support he's got. Right, but that's what I'm saying. That's his success right now. You're right. You're right. I mean... A lot of Americans had to learn where Iraq was because their sons and daughters were dying there. Right. Good point, Richie. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Have a good one. 866-997-4748. Rich in Indiana, you've been on hold since the Ford administration. Thank you for your patience. Welcome. (laughs) Remember what the Ford administration had to go through, too. Gerald Ford was able to pardon Richard Nixon, and in his own sense, he was saying, well, because I've pardoned a crime, we are actually in essence, convicting Richard Nixon. So yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, it's like, ouch. You know, it wasn't yeah. hard enough. I mean, he he was there to try and, and straighten things out. Oh, and then New York. Well, but, you know, but then he, then he let Kissinger, then he let Kissinger bomb Cambodia. So, you know, there's two sides right. of it, right? <laughs> Jesus. Well, that leads right into a statement by Rosa Luxemburg from uh, the turn of the 20th century. And uh, she said, uh, Society stands at the crossroads, either transition to socialism or regression to barbarism. And Mm. we're proving that with uh, every uh, foreign misfortune. Yeah. Medea Benjamin is code pink. And she's got a team member that I would really love to have you guys have as a guest. His name's Ray McGovern. And when Mary Ann was talking about the tendrils of everything wrapped into everything, I was thinking about how Blackstone uh, Equity Partners is uh, buying up scads and scads of uh, housing real estate and above market, too. It's like cash deals and just coming in and picking stuff. And that's going on around here. Uh, We're here in what somebody described to me as a Goldilocks zone uh, when it comes to uh, our uh, weather. And uh, I said, well, you know, our Goldilocks zone is being eyed like uh, the, the Martians looking at the Earth in H.G. Uh, <laughs> Wells' uh, <laughs> The War of the Worlds. And uh, we are going to have people moving here, which is what this market setup is doing ahead of time, because it's going to be the whales that move here. People that hmm. uh, end up coming off the coast are going to be the first wave uh, bailing out of places like New York that's going to need to have a uh, you know a ring around it to keep the the rivers out. Ray McGovern is this guy with Medea, and yeah. he is uh, former CIA, and he had this oh, really I know. cool. You, oh, you do. Well, Ray McGovern is, I mean, one of the best speakers about how the military-industrial complex still has us by the throat. And, you know, while I do support, I totally support uh, supporting Ukraine because I would have supported opposing Hitler when he invaded uh, Poland or took Czechoslovakia. But, you know, McGovern, I agree with when he talks about the fact that we're sending them cluster bombs and depleted uranium shells. And it's like, 
I, I will well, support will Biden. What I will support Biden in doing right, that, but I will always I will always call Joe Biden out because it is deeply wrong for many reasons and bad for the people of Ukraine to be sending over cluster bombs and depleted uranium shells. I, I, I agree. There's a there's a perspective that he brought by the creation of a uh, oh what do you say it's it's it's, it's not a mnemonic it's a, a an abbreviation he calls it the Mickey Mac and it's uh, and and an enlargement of what the military industrial complex is now it's military and industrial and it's congressional and it's our intelligence and it's the media and academia and think tanks you know, the not-for-profit think tanks, and they wrap that all together. And uh, (laughs) M-I-C-K-E-Y, (laughs) M-A-C-K, military, industrial, congressional intelligence, media. Have uh, have somebody, Chris, can can you mark that down, please? Mark what down? Yeah, it's not your job to give Chris (laughs) condescending orders. That's my job, sir. The Listen, I, 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 I think it's cool, and I love Ray McGovern on many issues. I, I disagree with him that Joe Biden's going to give nukes to Ukraine. I, I, <laughs> I do not see that happening. But again, yeah, you know, I, he's I, totally I right. I was only bringing him up. I apologize. Yeah. You, no, you're, you're, you're bringing up super important stuff, but his perspective as, as recognizing the model, and Marianne was talking about how all this stuff has come together and coalesced yeah. In, yeah. in this power constellation. And right, man. Uh, Eisenhower, he, he says uh, at, at the end of his speech warning us about the military industrial complex, he says uh, the only protection from that constellation of power is a fully informed citizenry. And we're dumb as a bag of hammers right now, and we're fighting well, against each other for stuff that doesn't count. I know, I know, but where where do you want to put the blame for that? Where do you want to put the blame for that? On the media, on the well, government, or the see. citizens? There's, I put it on all three. Academia, <laughs> and there's the well, yeah, but willfully, willfully ignorant is still willfully ignorant, and most people out there can probably sing more commercial jingles than can name their own local yeah. congressmen and elected officials. So it's like, you know, we're 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 a big dumb nation with a lot of weapons, and uh, again, I think we have to yeah. teach civics hardcore at every stage of education. Honestly, we don't. Yeah. Young people Dude, need to know about civics. They don't need to know about Charlemagne. I'm sorry, but we we don't yeah. need to teach 14 year olds European history. For God's sakes, we need to teach 14 year olds civics and how to handle the male libido, whether you're a boy or a girl. That's all you got to uh, teach in junior high. Yeah, we have a civics health crisis. Somebody said that. Yeah. I love that turn of phrase. Yeah, something Richard Dreyfus talks about a lot. Every time Richard Dreyfus is on the show, he always wants to talk about about that, and and, and I think he's right about it. We we don't, and it's because the people who own this country do not want a thriving democracy. They want obedient consumers. Is. They want obedient consumers. But that's always been the struggle. Like I said with Marianne, it's never been uh, liberal versus conservative since the since the founders decided only white landowning men should be allowed to vote. Our struggle yeah. has always been aristocracy yeah. against democracy. And we're getting scared by uh, everything being thrown at us and the media orchestrating a yep. overwhelm. And um, we're looking for somebody to take care of us. Stanley Milgram is the guy that's cited as the Milgram experiment. He okay. uh, did that study in uh, uh, behavior out of, out of Yale. And okay. the statement that I have for him is the disappearance of a sense of responsibility is the most 
far-reaching consequence of submission to authority. When you give well, look, away your I authority, don't... somebody else is telling you what to do, and you lose your own sense of responsibility. You know, it's following yeah. orders. Look, I don't, know who got, I, I don't know who got rid of personal responsibility, but don't blame me. I got to run, but thank you very much for the call, Rich. <laughs> Let you, me man. go. Thank you, man. I got to go over to Mike in Michigan, who's been on hold forever. Mike, thank you so much for your patience. Welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Well, hey, uh, I wish I was, I wanted to be Merrick Garland today. Oh, no, okay? you didn't. Yeah, just because when that guy Tom Tiffany talked about the, the nude bicycle Thing. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't hear that part. No. I, wow. You did. He brought up. He brought the up in Madison, Wisconsin, in, back in June. They had this, you know, Earth Day. One hundred and fifty people rode bicycles naked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He brought that up, and I wish I would have been there. I would have been Mary Garland. Said, "Well, did you get any pictures?" I missed but that any, part. But anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to mention, thanks for mentioning Jim Croce, Diane, you know, 50 years ago. That's yeah. amazing just to think what he could have done if he would have lived, you know. I know. Amazing. Oh, think about what they all could have done if they had lived, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so many of them. My God, Janis Joplin. Think about what kind of music Jimi Hendrix would be making. Think about what kind of music John Lennon would have made if, you know, it wasn't so easy for crazy people to get guns. Yeah, I didn't realize you mentioned that Lincoln's son was in the room when Garfield got shot, and, uh, yeah, and also he was McKinley. In the, and he was in the room when when both. I mean, when McKinley got shot, it was a huge ballroom. There was hundreds of people there, and and you know oh, okay. the assassin murdered the president. He was waiting on a receiving line and shot him. But uh, it was a train station, I believe, when uh, when um, Garfield. Garfield got shot. Yeah, by Charles Guiteau. That's that's nuts. That's the, zero, that's the zero factor. That's the zero factor. From 1840 onward, every president elected in a year that ended in zero died in office. Ronald Reagan was the that's one who uh, who broke that. In Tecumseh, Michigan, okay? That's mm-hmm. the Tecumseh curse. Okay. Wow. Didn't know that. That's the curse that he put on. Yeah, but anyway, uh, William Henry Harrison and William Henry Harrison in 1840, Lincoln in 1860, Garfield in 1880, right. McKinley in 1900, uh, uh, Harding in 1920, um, Roosevelt in 40 when he was hit to hit his third his third term, and uh, John Kennedy in 1960. Ronald Reagan took a bullet and survived, and that broke the zero factor curse. And that's only because he had the uh, high tech. Uh medical facility right there uh, maybe but it's also because we make it really easy for mentally ill guys to get their hands on guns it's something this country that's, leads that's, in that's, we're number one hey, I wanna th- yeah thank you for bringing up the uh the thing about abortion in the bible i i think more people should know that they'd be more aware uh you know to even ba- my wife went i think i told you this before my wife went full term with a baby and it 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 died inside of her but so because sorry. of abortion so sorry of rules in the state of New York at the time it still is five five days you had to wait yeah i mean that was it's ridiculous unreal. she could have died of septus you know yeah and that's yeah. that's what they're bringing back that's what men who don't have uteruses are trying to bring back thank you john for being there thank you sir what a pleasure 